the beginner Chinese class that I was in had a, a real mix of students. Like there were students from Australia, Myanmar, Laos, France, Russia, Japan, Korea. It was like a real, real like culturally diverse class. And English was not the first language or second language or for some people like English wasn't an option. And so beginner Chinese was basically the only way we could get to know each other. And so when we first like entered this classroom, a lot of us just kind of sat in silence because we, 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 we couldn't really communicate that well. And it was really, really cool over the period of about four or five months. It was really fulfilling and satisfying to, to watch us like develop friendships just using like really, really basic Chinese language skills. G'day and welcome to the NCP Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Rob Maliki. Thanks for your company today. I'm coming to you from somewhere unusual. I'm normally on Garigal land down in Sydney, but today on the Gold Coast on Comba Maryland. And this has just come out of the blue, this episode. I'm sitting with Connor Gould, who's a 2017 NCP scholar from Griffith University. And we've just been geeking out talking about AI. And I said, Connor, we should record this and we should put this on the podcast. Connor, thanks for joining me on NCB Journeys. Thanks for having me, Rob. Yeah, it's a pleasure. <laughs> so tell me firstly a little bit about your experience before we started recording. You said you, you went to more than one de- destination as part of your NCP. Where'd you go? What'd you do? Um, yeah, so I went to India, China and New Caledonia on my NCP program. I was a China scholar, so that's where I did most of my exchange. I did a semester of Chinese in Beijing. I also did a three-month internship in India, in Bangalore, and then also did another two months of internships in New Caledonia with the Pacific community. So yeah, it was a, yeah, I got to see a lot of different places and experience a lot of different cultures over about a year. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. And as somebody that's in the sort of tech space, is, is that what you spent most of your time working, studying while you're out and about? So it was a bit of a mix. The Internships I did were all very tech focused. So in India, I was working in basically like a an AI research lab at a big company called Infosys. So I got to work on some interesting, more research oriented stuff. So like reading research papers and implementing programs from research papers and that sort of thing. And then in New Caledonia, that was also a more technical thing. I was working in the statistics division of a not-for-profit organization and helping them set up their new, it's like a big data portal for data sets about Pacific island countries and territories. Yeah, so that was a more technical stint again. And then when I was in China, that was just Chinese language learning. So I was in a beginner Chinese class with 15 other people from all over the place. And we yeah just did intensive Chinese for about four or five months. What got you interested in AI to begin with? I think it was the the idea that you could have programs that can learn patterns themselves and you know it's it's changed a lot over the past few years but when it was first starting out there was kind of a a bit of magic to it because researchers didn't really understand how these models were learning the things that they were learning and they couldn't really get these models to explain the decisions they were making but yet they were making really really amazing decisions so yeah, I just thought it was a really fascinating time to, to be in the, the realm of computer science. So, yeah, I've definitely just tabs with what's going on in that space since then. So, so is that something that you kind of came across at uni 
Or you, so you just were more generally interested in computers, computer science, and then came across that? Or do you already know before you went to uni that this was something that was of interest? Yeah, it's a good question. I think I took a bit of a weird pathway into, into that study area. I originally went to uni to study law and did that for a semester, but didn't like all the amount of reading I had to do. And I, I missed the science and problem, the logic and problem solving of science and maths. So I took a year off uni and over that period sort of learned a bit more about programming and computer science because I'd, I'd never actually done any of it before. I didn't do anything in high school or anything like that. And it just seemed like a really interesting space to get involved in. So when I came back to uni, that's what I signed up for and yeah, learned more about AI while I was at uni as well. It seems to me as somebody who's, I'd say I'm peripherally technical, if you know what I mean, like I know top level technology, but the pace of change in this space is extraordinary right now. Is that a fair observation from a layperson? Yeah, yeah, I, I would say you're definitely right. Like I think probably around 2010 was when there was this big sort of change in the research that was being done and there was this new new branch of AI models that came out that were doing really well at computer vision and some simple language tasks but then yeah as we've seen with chat gpt and stuff over the past year or two it's just like taken another huge leap and it's it's pretty exciting because i think a lot of people in like computer science saw that it was getting better and better over the past few years but over the past six months it's just changed on a whole other level and you can see that it's like become quite a mainstream topic and everyone's quite excited about it do you think that's because suddenly they've got so many people that are using this tool obviously their feedback loop is dramatically reduced because the underlying technology they've been working on for for a number of years and if you had access via api and and what have you you're doing research work you you could already access this stuff for the last couple of years pretty much Mm. but suddenly when they release that thing into the wild the feedback time goes from being i don't know small number of users working on things over a longer time frame to suddenly like boom like their data source has just exploded yeah totally and then that just makes iteration much much faster i think you're right like we were talking about it recently that chat gpt has the right to use all of the data that you send to it when you're using that chat interface and they'll definitely use that data to to improve their programs yeah and you're right like the, the underlying model is trained on sort of public internet data and that's been the the go-to method for a couple of years now but OpenAI has added that I guess they call it reinforcement learning where it it changes its decisions based on user feedback and with the the public access of ChatGPT and the amount of data they're getting yeah that's definitely just going to keep improving. Do you think we need to be worried about it? I mean I'm, I'm hearing this a lot like on the radio at the moment and when the topic comes up And people seem to be split into two camps. People are like, no, no, humans will be okay with this and we'll we'll work out how to keep this thing sort of, inverted commas, under control. And other people, including very smart, you know, connected people high up in the industry who are just freaking out. What do you think? Yeah, it seems to be a pretty divisive topic. I think when I was first sort of learning about machine learning and AI, I was very drawn to the, the, they call it like the AI safety space. So this was before ChatGPT. There were, there were already quite a lot of researchers looking into how we can roll out AI safely and ethically. And I think that that sort of industry has been in for a bit of a shock over the past six months as AI just 
sort of leapfrogged out of nowhere. What we currently have today isn't that dangerous, but I, I do think that like, you know, if it can leapfrog again, like it has in the past couple of months, it, it makes sense to, to have some safety controls and it makes sense to be thinking about the risks and the ethics of it all. So yeah, I think a balanced approach in this space is probably probably safest. It's, yeah, you just mentioned what I think is an important word, which is, which is ethics. Mm. Uh, one of the examples that I've heard come up is around, for example, self-driving cars with the cameras and you know, AI that power decision-making for a self-driving car. And mm. you know, if, if suddenly there was a group of school children crossing the street and the car had to make a decision whether it was going to you know, run into a group of school kids or swerve into a crowd, a crowded cafe to the left, how does it make that decision? And, and in fact, that's an ethical, moral question that underpins you know a technological problem that needs to be solved Mm. so i imagine there's very smart ethicists and philosophers almost that need to be involved in those kind of decisions too right Mm. yeah yeah i'd hope so (laughs) i hope so too. (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and you're right it's yeah with those ethical dilemmas like often there isn't a right or wrong answer so they're, they're tricky but they're also like the other more kind of I guess, sinister or insidious types of biases and prejudices that these models can sometimes pick up through their training data. Like I, I recently saw some examples of the, the bias that the mid-journey AI art generator can exhibit. Like it'll sometimes stereotype certain people and that's a, that's a, a consequence of the data that it's been trained on so yeah there's still definitely things that we haven't got right in this space so yeah it's, it's, it's like picking up all of our humanness including all of our flaws and all of the nasty stuff too yeah and that all needs to be i guess once again there are ethical questions around that aren't mm. there as to as to how you deal with that mm. mid-journey is a fascinating tool that was my first step into this even before chat gpt oh cool do you want to explain to people if they haven't seen mid-journey what it is yeah so it's it's an AI art generator, I guess you would say, like the underlying model is called like a text to image model. So basically given some text prompt, it can then generate images and art based on the prompt you've provided. And so there's a couple of different models like this floating around at the moment, but the the mid-journey one became pretty popular because I think originally it was free and you could access it on a Discord server. So they're sort of created an interesting community around the model where it was this you know hectic discord server with people sharing all the crazy images that they were making and the mid-journey model creates like a quite a unique style of art as well compared to some of the other models and so what what are you interested in now like what projects are you working on in this space or are you interested in working on i'm definitely interested in finding opportunities to to work with ai a project that i was talking with you about earlier is a friend of a friend is a, a one-year man who has an idea for a, a an app that can teach first nations languages so he has this idea for a, a kind of interactive storytelling web-based experience that is kind of mixed with like a bit of duolingo so you're learning the first nations language and sort of learning it through storytelling and would like to have like quite an, an interesting artistic or visual component to it as well. Yeah, and we, we've recently submitted a, a grant for some funding to see if we can get that up and running. But yeah, I'm pretty excited by that 
project idea I think would be pretty cool one to work on. I mean, before we started recording, we were talking about this. I just told, that flipped my mind. I think it's such a great idea because it marries so many so many important things. Firstly, our First Nations people and protecting and continuing that culture and heritage. But then also the storytelling element is, is fascinating, how you, can, how you can use story to help people learn because it's one of the most powerful means to do that, mm. along with the tech, of mm. course. Yeah. So, yeah, super cool project. So anyone listening to this, if you're interested in First Nations storytelling or technology and, and that, then maybe they need to get in touch with you. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to get in touch. <laughs> we can use some help. <laughs> Backing up to your actual program, do you have anything that really stands out, a standout story? This is like unfair <laughs> to dump that on you. Let's, let's just pick one. Let's pick China. Okay. Do you have a favorite story from your time in China? A mm. moment that surprised you, a moment where something went wrong, <laughs> you're outside your comfort zone? I mean, I, th- I think a story that I often come back to, it, it's not like a, a crazy story. It's kind of just a, a nice one. Is that all right? Can we go with a nice story? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a nice story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was like the, the beginner Chinese class that I was in had a, a real mix of students. Like there were students from Australia, Myanmar, Laos, France, Russia, Japan, Korea. It was like a real, real like culturally diverse class. And English was not the first language or second language or for some people like English wasn't an option and so beginner Chinese was basically the only way we could get to know each other and so when we first like entered this classroom a lot of us just kind of sat in silence because we we we, we couldn't really communicate that well and it was really really cool over the period of about four or five months it was really fulfilling and satisfying to to watch us like develop friendships just using like really really basic Chinese language skills, and so yeah, I, I ended up becoming f- pretty good friends with a few of the people in that class, and you know we we basically never made it past elementary Chinese, so it was kind of like being back in first grade and like <laughs> yeah, just trying to communicate in as like, simple a way as possible. You know, do you want to go to the bar and get a beer together, or you know, should we go get lunch now and that sort of thing. Yeah, that was a really, really fun experience. It's funny, isn't it? It's such a, such a great story because when we grow up, that becomes this horrible, awkward thing. You know, you're in a <laughs> non-English speaking country and you're like, oh God, I need to go and order a coffee or whatever it is. Mm. And, and we feel just so awkward mm. doing that. But kids are just a natural. You chuck yeah. two kids together that come from completely different backgrounds and they have no problem <laughs> at all <laughs> playing together and inventing and, and connecting. So yeah. Just being thrown back into that must have been a spin out. Yeah, yeah, totally. And yeah, I think a lot like kids, we found ways to to like play. Like there was a, a group of people that would go and play like pick up soccer on the on the fields after class. So like that was one way that we would kind of hang out with each other without having to really communicate a lot. Yeah, it was a really cool experience. And then thinking about another experience about India, if somebody were listening to this who was planning their NCP experience. Mm. Why should they include India on their program? Oh, yeah, that's a... I mean, I love India. I think it's like one of my favorite places in the world just because it's... Firstly, it's just like kind of like China. It's just a huge, huge country and a really significant fraction of the world lives there. So it's, it's like basically going to another world. Like there are so many different 
countries and states and cultures within the one country, you could really, you know, explore India forever and you just keep finding new places and new experiences that would challenge you and fascinate you. So, yeah, I really loved it. I always found the the people that I, I met while I was traveling were really, really generous and friendly. And yeah, I think like like diversity is probably like the key word. It's just like such a diverse country and you can get, you know, the high tech kind of world of Bangalore, electronic city, as they call it, where you've got these giant tech campuses of big tech companies. And then you've also got like the really adventurous side of India where you can like hop on trains for just a few dollars and explore the country and end up in random towns. Did you do some of that? Yeah, we. I was there with, there were quite a lot of other interns doing an internship at the same time as me and we had yeah we made a really good effort to get out on weekends and explore as much of the country as we could and then I had a few more weeks post internship where I just sort of traveled around for a couple of weeks yeah yeah it was amazing and so finally then on to to New Cal mm. which is funny it's so close to Australia right yeah. but it's like dropping into once again like a different different world altogether isn't it yeah definitely and it's i think off the radar for a lot of australians mm. what what was that like yeah you, it's it's interesting that you mentioned that it's so close because yeah even when i was going there i i didn't realize it was a a two-hour flight from brisbane like that was the closest i'd been to home i think actually i had to i had to fly into sydney to go to new caledonia's so it was a little bit anticlimactic i like came home to australia before leaving again and yeah it, it's really close but I feel like we don't have a, a really strong understanding of the country, which is a bit of a missed opportunity because it's a really, really amazing place. Yeah, it's got the like traditional culture of the, the Kanak people and then sort of like the, the mix of French influence as well. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a really a beautiful, beautiful place as well, like a really amazing scenery and oceans and where I was doing my internship, we were right across the road from this beach. I've forgotten the name of it, but it's famous for windsurfing. And so at lunchtime, a bunch of people in the office would quickly grab their windsurfing equipment and go across the road and try and, yeah, get some waves. I was never that skillful at it. I had a few goes, but yeah, it's, I don't think it's my thing. <laughs> the thing that's awesome about that is, is like once you go and discover these places, I find it really opens your eyes to just how many opportunities there are in the world. Like you could go over there and work now, no problem to get a job. And you could like live in this paradise, albeit a very expensive paradise, but it is paradise. <laughs> yeah. And I oh, know a couple of NCP scholars who are out there working, particularly in the Pacific, where, mm. you know, lifestyle, it can be pretty freaking good. Mm. And I believe if it weren't for the NCP, they might not have kind of ended up in that situation and and not just the sort of lifestyle side but the work is also incredible mm. some of the people i've met from the community that are traveling around different islands and, and countries of the pacific doing fascinating work yeah i mean th- there aren't many lives that i'd trade for but <laughs> some yeah. of those get pretty close I must yeah admit. <laughs> yeah i remember where i was working they did a lot of research into sustainable fishing and fisheries research and there were a bunch of people in that team and their job was basically to like go out on boats and tag tuna fish and you know make sure that things were being fished in a sustainable way and i thought that was just such a cool job to Somebody go out on the ocean all yeah exactly <laughs> yeah that's pretty amazing <laughs> well I was, I was in the office just analyzing the data so <laughs> it wasn't quite the same <laughs> 
it uh, takes all sorts to turn the world. Yeah, it? exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like you, you're, I think, I mean, fascinating area that you're in now, the, the, the technology side of things. I mean, great field where so many opportunities. Actually, interestingly, on the plane flying up here this morning, I was just thinking about that sort of AI security and I was thinking about the AI safety side of things and just thinking, wow, you know what? If I had five years to go back and reskill, mm. I reckon that's probably what I would go back and study mm. just because the world is like that technology is changing so fast. Yeah. And you're going to need specialists, not just in big companies, but mm. all over the place that really understand that safety side. So Definitely. fascinating. And insects with everything, right? Like yeah. politics, technology, culture. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a really interesting space. And I think, you know, I mentioned that I was sort of reading a little bit about that area when I was at uni and uh, there's a real like, lack of people working in that space. And so, yeah, I would say it's not too late, Rob, if you want to get into it, like <laughs> they're looking for people and yeah, if you wanted to reskill and go into that area, I think there's too opportunities. Busy doing, too, too busy doing NCP podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah. So fascinating talking with you, Connor, and you know, hopefully... I get to collaborate with you on a project and other people from the community do too. Where can people find you? Probably best place is LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. I think I sometimes pop onto the Facebook group, but I'm not that active. So, yeah. Awesome, mate. Amazing having you on NCP Journeys and look forward to continuing the conversation. Yeah, likewise, Rob. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me on the NCP Journeys podcast. Remember, this is the podcast that's for you and the idea behind this is to help you meet people from the community that might share an interest that overlaps with yours so literally this is your community these are your people and never be afraid to reach out to people that you hear on the podcast because we're all part of this thing and here to collaborate with each other until next time have yourself an awesome day hey just one last thing i wanted to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by scholars network scholars network is the independent not-for-profit organization that's run by scholars for scholars it's dedicated to your professional development and your community connections long after your NCP experience. The organisation does all sorts of activities, whether that's online um, interest group meetups or catch-ups in person, right through to formal events and in-country tours and experiences. This is about your professional development. But beyond that, it's also about connections. It's making sure that you know those 10 or 12 people inside this incredible network who you really need to know. How are you going to find them? The NCP Scholar community is over a 1,000 people. How are you going to find those 10 or 12 people that just have the same niche passion areas as you? Those people that can help you with your career. Those people that can help you launch that new project or initiative that you're hoping to get done. Scholars Network is there to do exactly that. For more information, go to scholars.network. Pretty hard URL to remember. And I would love to see you at one of the events or activities in the years ahead. Scholars.network.